0: Hello, this is Graham Brown, Principal with NextGen Advisors. Welcome to our podcast series featuring senior leaders from the NextGen Advisors team. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Chris Emper, Dr. Marty Lustick, and Dr. Betty Rabinowitz. Welcome to each of you. Hello. Hey Graham. hey, Graham. With the beginning of the Biden administration this week, we've asked Chris, as an expert on federal policy, to share his thoughts on the implications of these changes on health care. Chris, let's start with the nominees to some of the key positions from Health and Human Services to the CDC to the COVID-19 Task Force in the Surgeon General's Office. What can you tell us about who's been nominated and what positions are yet to be determined, what that process looks like, and why it's important for healthcare leaders to pay attention to this?
1: A great question, Graham, and thanks for having me today. You know, I think it's always important at the beginning of any administration to realize that a lot of the actions that will come most immediately will come through executive orders and regulatory changes. And leading those changes will be the new nominees and appointees to the top positions. And uh, across the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, there are a number of different key positions that will be turning over or have turned over. Um, Atop the list is the nominee for the Department of Health as as the Secretary of HHS, who is Javier Becerra, the current Attorney General of California, who's a former member of Congress from the state of California. Um, His background comes, obviously, as a congressman. He was a supporter and advocate of the Affordable Care Act as a member of Congress and actually led several lawsuits um, as Attorney General of California against the Trump administration around the Affordable Care Act. So he sort of brings that legal... Um, background as, a, uh, as a, a proponent of the Affordable Care Act to the table. Looking beyond the top position as the secretary of HHS, um, a number of other different um, nominees have been uh, named by the Biden administration. You have uh, from the state level, the secretaries of health from the state of Pennsylvania and Wisconsin as the top deputies under HHS. Um, The former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, under the Obama administration, is going to come back into that role and will play a key role in the COVID uh, response. And then Dr. Anthony Fauci, I think is another notable one, who was uh, the top medical advisor under the uh, previous administration, is going to continue on that role and play a leading role in the COVID response um, under the Biden administration. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly some of those nominees actually get in and as they go through the Senate confirmation process. Um, but back to your your most important question I think in this uh, why should we care it's that you know as as the uh, the plans turn into actual
0: policy and impact the industry, it'll be these individuals who will
1: be leading those efforts over the next week uh, the next following weeks and months.
0: That's great. Well, lots to come. I think uh, important for us to be paying attention. Um, Marty, there's a number of physicians that have been uh, on the list of new appointees. Thoughts on on that and how that uh, might cast a shadow yeah. on things?
2: Yeah, you know, I certainly don't have in-depth knowledge on each of the appointees. Uh, to me, the, the uh, reassuring thing about uh, this list of appointments was really the comments that were made around the appointments of that you know science is going to be placed at the center of health policy decisions so having whether it's clinical expertise or public health expertise that's driving the decisions particularly as it relates to managing the pandemic um, as well as the longer term
0: policy issues i think to me is is a really important part of this whole thing thank you so chris let's uh turn to the changes in congress um, there's pretty thin margins in both houses uh, that we can... So what can we see, do you think, in terms of legislative action if there's just that razor-thin margin and not a broad amount of uh, support on some of the more controversial issues?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the biggest change in DC beyond the presidential administration from last year to this year is that the Senate, as a result of the recent Georgia uh, special runoff election, Democrat.
3: to get to move regular
1: legislation um, will certainly be the easiest path forward towards, um, you know, passing major COVID relief or health care legislation. Um, but the fifty, just with 51 votes, it is possible for them to push um, legislation. And actually over the last decade, this is the process by which we saw the original passage of the Affordable Care Act and several of the major uh, legislative accomplishments under the Trump administration, including the big tax bill. Um, so there is precedent for that happening before, especially around healthcare, and I think they'll use that process. Um, one of the things that I think will
3: be, uh, you know, different as we look at uh, a different, um, different control
1: of Congress and a different agenda under the, the Biden administration is COVID relief and COVID relief packages. And uh, President Biden has already put out a 1.9 trillion dollar plan for uh, the next round of COVID relief. Um, how quickly and whether that makes it through Congress uh, remains to be seen over the next few weeks. Um, But I think that uh, a major focus on some of those initiatives that were, did not make it into the COVID relief bills uh, that were ultimately signed into law last year is something we're gonna see uh, great attention to this year. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, looking at the broader healthcare policy uh, world and the the changes that uh, President Biden campaigned on, I think what ends up happening with the pandemic over the next several months and how much attention that requires and the ability of, you know, the Congress to focus on other issues will largely dictate whether they, um, you know, go to pass a major or put effort into passing a major health care reform bill, you know, earlier in the administration or sort of put that on the back burner as the pandemic occupies all of uh, Washington's time over the, you know, the, the course of this year.
0: So let's go a little deeper into that. Um, Aside from the vaccination issues, uh, what can we expect to see in the continuing federal response really from the economic side uh, to the distress that's been caused by the pandemic? There's elements in Biden's plan, as you referenced, um, and there's been a couple different versions of support uh, promulgated financially uh, back in March and then at the end of the year. What else might we expect in that regard?
1: that, um, you know, the, the president has put forth as, as part of his $1.9 trillion plan, um, bucket release, and kind of divide up that uh, $1.9 trillion in a couple different areas. Uh, the first one is a continuation and probably an increase in the support for individuals and families uh, in terms of expended unemployment insurance and uh, direct relief payments to, to individuals and families. The second bucket is more focused on uh, state and local governments. And this was something that was a big hang up in the bills that did not pass and uh, they signed into law last year, but something that um, the democratic party has, has put a lot of support behind um, giving money to state and local governments, uh, not only for the pandemic response, but for other sort of related issues where there's been some budgetary uh, problems. And then the third is more focused around, uh, you know, businesses and longer term, uh, you know, changes. And uh, when Biden rolled out his plan uh, for kind of what he called the first round of, uh, of COVID aid, the 1.9 trillion, he also said that coming beyond that would be another bill that potentially would be even larger that would look to do some more fundamental things beyond just the COVID uh, pandemics and what he called his rebuild plan uh, towards the economy. So I-, I think putting those two things together and obviously it will require congressional approval Um, potentially a lot of changes coming over the next few months, and it'll be certainly interesting to see how it all plays out.
0: Great, thanks. So the pandemic has clearly been a dominant theme in healthcare for the past year, uh, but there's lots of other aspects of healthcare policy that are likely to be prioritized by the new administration. What do you think some of those uh, topics might be?
1: Well, again, as you noted, COVID is issue probably number one, two, three, four for the administration right now and will demand um, you know the majority of their response. But beyond COVID, uh, the Affordable Care Act, and, and remember that uh, Obamacare, uh, vice, or then Vice President, now President Biden was a big proponent of that. And it's not only a legacy issue for former President Obama, but as his Vice President, it's a legacy issue for Biden. as I think um, changing and sort of reversing some of the policies uh, that were in effect the last few years around the Affordable Care Act will be a major uh, initiative uh, of the Biden administration and a couple of the legislative proposals that he has already put forward and campaigned on are to add a public option around the individual market exchanges and to increase the value of the tax credit subsidies to make those plans on the exchanges now a little bit more affordable. Uh, another area, uh, you know, beyond the Affordable Care Act is a broader policy of attacking coverage expansion. And he's talked about both through Medicaid and Medicare, um, looking to increase enrollment in those programs through various different policies. Of course, those changes would require legislative, uh, approval. And, uh, as, as is always the case, there's are sort of the secret cals, the entitlement programs that are difficult to change and require a lot of uh, a lot of support and usually bipartisan support. Uh, so we'll see what happens on those fronts, but that's definitely one another area that uh, you know I would expect some action on. And then the fourth is around uh, disparities, and this is something that uh, the administration has made one of the major planks of their overall administrative response uh, and a priority. But I think in healthcare, certainly as it relates to COVID, but also issues beyond COVID, I think this is an area where there could be a lot of activity. And I, I think particularly as you look at community health centers, they have been identified as one area that can play a major role um, in, that, in that response.
0: Betty, I'd love your thoughts on what some of those policy initiatives around uh, expanding some of the coverage options through the Affordable Care Act, as well as that focus on disparities might mean um, for health care providers.
3: I think that uh, a couple of things. One is that um, those models of care that have been successful heretofore, for example, federally qualified uh, clinics, will uh, become some of the lessons learned there and some of those models may be expanded. I think the integration of behavioral health will uh, continue and expand. I think part and parcel of reducing disparities is uh, the disparities between coverage uh, for physical and uh, um, uh, kind of traditional health care and behavioral health will become uh, more important, and we 'll see uh, more integrated uh, care i 'm hopeful that one of the the uh, biggest impacts will be the continuation of the acceleration of focus on primary care, and that uh, there, there will be an emphasis on the importance of primary care in reduce in in reducing disparities, serving uh, broader populations, and uh, kind of recruiting the, the best and the brightest to primary care, continuing uh, to, uh, to build um, uh, models of care that primary care, young uh, physicians want to uh, continue going into uh, primary care.
2: Marty? I actually would like to ask Chris a, uh, a more specific question. I know it puts you on the spot and you probably I uh, uh, can't give a real clear one, but from a crystal ball perspective, how likely is it that um, they'll be able to get uh, legislation through around telehealth that'll make the changes related to the pandemic permanent for the government for both Medicare and Medicaid?
1: That's a great question. I think that's actually one area where I do not see a lot of um, a lot of room between the parties in terms of their you know, political or ideological beliefs. Uh, and I think telehealth really is wrapped around this whole transition to value-based care and a lot of the initiatives that have re- received bipartisan support. And if you remember back four years ago, you know, uh, President Trump came into office and his big healthcare policy plan was to repeal Obamacare. And as part of
3: Obamacare, a lot of the value-based care initiatives were wrapped up in that. And there was a lot of confusion in the industry as to does this stuff all just go away?
1: And I think four years later, we can confidently say that, you know, one of the main, if not the main legacy of the Trump administration's health care policies is that value-based care and a lot of these initiatives um, are going to be permanent. You know, ACOs, um, telehealth interoperability. And I think for telehealth, it's really just a matter of when, how, and to what extent a new bill gets passed. There's been a lot of discussion since the pandemic started about, You know, once the pandemic ends and the national emergency period ends, um, all these policies go away. And, you know, are we going to keep them or are we going to modify them? Uh, And I think it's extremely likely that that will happen. Um, But at the same time, it's difficult to say exactly when and exactly how.
2: I think from the provider's perspective, there's been so much investment in developing those capabilities in response to the pandemic that it would be really helpful to them to know what the landscape's gonna look like going forward.
1: Yeah, and and I think one thing that'll really help it is um, looking back at what had hindered telehealth and the federal adoption of more reimbursement for telehealth prior to the pandemic is that they didn't have any data that showed, you know, telehealth services is gonna be a success from a money saving standpoint, from a cost standpoint. And that was always, you know, one of the pieces behind The adoption of telehealth it's a lower cost service it's going to be better for patients it keeps them you know out of the hospital and i think now we're just starting to see some of the data from the pandemic on that area come in and if that comes in in a positive way i think that'll really give uh congress the evidence they need to make some more permanent changes so i think a lot of folks are very hopeful in that area
0: So I'm gonna borrow uh, Marty's approach here, whether it's a crystal ball or not, uh, maybe a fuzzy crystal ball, but I'd love to hear from each of you. Is there anything that you don't think is going to change going forward in the realm of healthcare reform or policy? Uh, Marty, do you wanna start? Yeah, um, it, I don't know that it
2: won't happen, but to me, the you know Chris is the political expert here, but I think the likelihood of expanding medicare is going to be harder to get through as a lowering the age for medicare uh particularly given the solvency issues that medicare already faces is it seems to me the least likely component of the biden plan that's going to get through particularly a, a pretty divided congress betty
3: um i think that uh one thing that won't change is that the pressure to continue reducing costs will uh con- will be there and that the 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 entire pie is going to shrink the way it's divided internally will um uh be different but i think that's one uh, given and the second is particularly because of uh, the things chris pointed out that in spite of the, uh, the previous administration's attempt to kind of abolish the Affordable Care Act, there has been a steady bipartisan commitment to value-based uh, care that I think will continue. So uh, new risk models, new primary care models, uh, strengthening of ACOs and uh, expanding their reach, bundle payments for specialists Uh, I think are themes and uh, common kind of models that we will continue uh, seeing. I don't think that's gonna change if anything uh, will be accelerated.
0: Chris, what would you add? I think the the two doctors really nailed it on the head. Um, You know, as I was just talking around telehealth, I think the broader movement towards value-based care is going to continue. Um, And when you think about, you know, from a, a physician's
1: or a physician's group perspective, um, what are the big changes you you have to be aware of in the short term, and what might change your day to day life? Uh, you know the the broader coverage changes, the future of Medicare, Medicaid. Um, those problems will, and those issues I should say, are ones that are going to be fought um, during this administration and through future administrations. They're sort of classic Republican versus Democrats. How do we tax and spend type issues? Um, but. How do we actually spend our healthcare care dollars from a federal perspective um the focus on lower costs and also during the pandemic as telehealth as a perfect example has highlighted you know consumers are, de- are demanding a better experience
3: and i think it's exposed some of the flaws in the fee-for-service system and i think uh the value-based payments acos
1: telehealth uh interoperability all those things that are wrapped up in value-based reimbursement and sort of care redesign Um, are things that are gonna continue to accelerate. And uh, my final point, I'll just say, I think no better example of that is the bipartisan proposal uh, that's now been enacted in January 1st of 2021 to reform the two decades old Evaluation and Management Coding and Payment System. Um, You know, during a pandemic, during a presidential administration, uh, the industry led by the American Medical Association and their CPT editorial board was able to partner with the government
3: and implement this massive change that's two decades in the making. Um, you know, and again, during a presidential transition,
1: during a pandemic. And I, I think that gives some evidence to the fact that this this transition is, is moving forward and uh, will not change uh, as a result of the, the political changes.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you all. Uh, very interesting conversation. Uh, I imagine there's going to be a huge amount happening in this space. Uh, over the next several years with the new Congress, new administration, and new Senates. Um, So keep tuned to this channel. I'd like to thank Chris Emper for joining us today, along with uh, Dr. Betty Rabinowitz and Dr. Marty Lustek, and thanks to our listeners. If you want to stay tuned to this channel, consider subscribing to our podcast. This is Graham Brown with NextGen Healthcare. Thanks for joining us and have a great day.